So we've talked a little bit about already this morning, or at least Susan talked a little about uh, our theme for today, which is love, and that's that's pretty con that's that's very consistent actually. We've gone over the the, uh, the major themes for Advent over these last four Sundays, and uh, this is the fourth Sunday of Advent, the last Sunday prior to Christmas. <laughs> and as we know, those themes are hope, peace, joy, and love. Hope, peace, joy, and love, and as I just said, today's theme is love. So during the seasons of Advent and during the seasons of Christmas, we recognize, we celebrate the love that God has for us, the love that God has humanity. Through the birth of Jesus, through the birth of Jesus, we celebrate that love that we look forward to in the second coming of Christ. In a few days, we're going to celebrate together. Hopefully some of you guys or most of you guys will be there. We're going to celebrate the birth of Jesus together with our church family. Uh, through, a, through a brief communion service and through the observance of, uh, of, uh, of the nativity. As we remember, as we recall, as we reenact that awesome, awesome day when, when Jesus was born. When Jesus was born in Bethlehem. When the Son of God broke into the world, not in the form of a king or, the, or a government leader, but in the form of a baby. A little Middle Eastern, poor, Jewish baby. God has a tendency to surprise us like that. Hopefully we're going to be celebrating that, all of us to some degree, with our families as well. <clears throat> but primarily today, I don't want to talk about Advent, I don't want to talk about Christmas, but I do want to focus on the idea or on the theme of this fourth Sunday of Advent, and that theme is love. I want to talk about the kind of love that God has for us. I want to talk about the kind of love that was lived by Jesus, and I want to talk about the kind of love that we, as Holy Spirit-filled people, have access to. The kind of love that we not only are called to live out, but very much so have the ability to live out into the world. If you guys will recall, last year at Broxton and, and Oak Grove too, uh, we had a, at the beginning of 2019, we had a, uh, or I started, <laughs> um, a theme for our church. We, we, had a, we had a theme, we had something that we were going we to go through. Do y'all remember what that was? We were gonna, I was going to preach on it, I started preaching on it January through March. I even had some t-shirts made up. Yeah, well, glad I made an impression. <laughs> yeah, yeah, so we were, the, the theme that I'd come up with was we were going to be a Romans 12 church. We are a Romans 12 church, and I was going to preach over Romans 12 over a period of months and, and dive into what that looked like. What does it look like through, through Paul's letter, through like Paul's epistle to the church at, churches at Rome, and to be a Romans 12 church and uh, and to live into that and to live that out in today's society but we got kind of interrupted with that with the with the uh, with coronavirus and and uh, quarantine and all that stuff so we didn't never did get to complete it um so we're going to go a little bit slightly of a different direction because something else i think god has laid on my heart this year for 2020 is to focus our churches on a different theme on a similar theme but also a little bit different and if i had to title that theme i would i would title it loving like jesus as the theme for our churches for the year 2020, loving like Jesus. 
What does that look like? How do we do it? I want to build it up from a foundation. And I want to, what I'm going to do today is I'm going to give you some scriptural foundation that we're going to start with and we're going to build up from that. And eventually, probably starting the first Sunday in January, we're going to start looking at what it looks like to love like Jesus through the Sermon on the Mount. What it looks like to love like Jesus through living, understanding, and, and applying what is Jesus' greatest and most well-known sermon. The Sermon on the Mount that we find in Matthew 5-7. through 7. The foundational scriptures for our theme, love, there's two of them. First one is John 13, 34, and 35. If y'all want to look that up now, you're welcome to do so. <clears throat> John 13, 34, and 35. I want to read that to you, and then I want to um, elaborate on it just a little bit. So John writes in chapter 13, starting in 34. A new command I give you. Love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. Look how many times John uses the words, or Jesus uses the words love one another in these two little scriptures. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Three times. Three times Jesus tells the disciples to love one another in those two little short scriptures. Let me give you a little background if you don't know where we are exactly. This is at the end of the Passover meal. Jesus is about to be arrested and is about to be crucified. So this was immediately following uh, the Last Supper, uh, that we, that we, the Lord's Supper that we practice. And he's given them some. Uh, he's given them some commands. He's given them some instructions, and these are some of his last instructions that he gives to his disciples. Let me point out a couple of words or a couple of other phrases, in addition to the fact that Jesus says "love one another" three times in a matter of two sentences. First one is that word "new." Jesus says, "A new command I give you. A new command." In other words, you guys haven't heard this before. Wait a second, Jerry. Jesus said, love your neighbor as yourself all the time, right? You already talked about that. <clears throat> and they probably thought the same thing. But that's not what Jesus says. Jesus said, this is something new. This is something new I'm going to give it to you. You've never heard this before. Love one another. All right, Jesus, we've heard that. You've said that. We get it. No, 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 no. No, Jesus says. <laughs> Understand this, disciples, followers of Jesus. And here's the kicker. Here's the throat punch. As I have loved you. Jesus ups the game dramatically with that little phrase. There's their new commandment right there. Just as I have loved you. Because nobody has loved us like God has loved us. Nobody has loved us like Jesus has loved us. Nobody ever will. And they knew that. Nobody has ever pursued us the way God has, the way Jesus has. Just as I have loved you, so you love one another. Now, something else 
is that Jesus was specifically addressing the disciples at this point. He was specifically addressing his church. What that means is that our love for our brothers and sisters as a church family, as those within the body of Christ, whether it's the local body of Christ, the larger body of Christ, our love is, should, is, is elevated for our love for our brothers and sisters, even more so than it is those outside the church. And y'all know we love those outside the church. But the love that we have for those inside the church is even more so elevated. We should be known for our crazy, crazy love for one another. We should confuse people. We should baffle people. We should, we should amuse people by the way that we show our love for our brothers and our sisters inside of the church. It ought to be just absolutely nuts. People ought to question our sanity maybe sometimes. But hey, look at those people because you know what Jesus says in the next part of our scripture? This is how they will know that you are my disciples. If you love one another. Not by your preaching, not by your teaching, not necessarily by, by your belief system. But by the way that you live your love out for one another, by the way you show that love for one another, this, house, this is how people outside of our communion will know that you're my disciples. I think that's pretty doggone powerful stuff. The second sermon that I want to use as our, or second scripture I want to use as our, as our foundation for this, for this theme, loving like Jesus is one that you're very, very familiar with, or at least I hope you're familiar with it because I preached on it for about a month straight. But that's Mark, tw uh, Mark 12, 29 through 31. Mark 12, Mark 12, 29 through 31, starting at 29. These are the, again, are the words of Jesus. And once more, you should be very familiar with this. The most important commandment, answered Jesus, is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind, and with all of your strength. And the second one is like it. The second is like it. Or the second one is just as equal to it. Love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. If you happen to follow back during that sermon series that I, where we utilized that scripture... You may recall that these words were something that we called the Jesus Creed. The Jesus Creed. I would like for us to be known as the, a Jesus Creed church. <laughs> Let me elaborate on that just a little bit. Let me try to sum up a month's worth of uh, sermons in about two minutes here. If you were not able to be a part of that series... <clears throat> These words would have been very familiar to Jesus' audience. 
Because what Jesus does when he says, love the Lord, what he says, hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one, or the Lord alone. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. What Jesus is doing is he is, he is, he is quoting an ancient Jewish prayer called the Shema. You can locate that in Deuteronomy. And it was a, it's still, and it remains, it still is a very prominent prayer and a prominent practice in the Jewish tradition. Remember, Jesus was Jewish. Jesus would have been taught this prayer by Mary and Joseph. He would have recited this prayer. He would have recited it in the morning. He would have, he would have recited it. He would have prayed it at night. And more than likely, probably during the daytime as well. Very, very prominent prayer of the Jewish people. But then he probably surprised his audience, just like he surprises me today too, when he followed it up with a part of Leviticus. <laughs> that second part comes from Leviticus 19.18. Oh, yeah, and by the way, love your neighbor as yourself. That would have shocked those people at that time just as probably as much as it shocks us today because Jesus says in this verse, the second is like it. And that's a key phrase there. The second is like it. Or the second is as equal. Or the second is as important. It is just as important in the eyes of God that we love our neighbor as ourselves just as much as we love him. And so that's what we call the Jesus Creed. And of course, y'all may recall that I based that whole series on a, on a book by the same title that was written a number of years ago. So anyway, those are going to be our two foundational scriptures over the next you know, months as we go through the Sermon on the Mount. The command of Jesus to love our neighbors as ourself and uh, his admonishment to his disciples to love one another just as he loved him. And we're going to explore that once more through the Sermon on the Mount. Okay, we, we got the foundation. We know that loving people is pretty doggone important. <clears throat> so what's that look like lived out? Well, I think Jesus teaches us exactly what that looks like lived out. I think, I, think, I, think, I think the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5 through 7, is the pinnacle of Christian ethics and Christian morals as they are lived, as that kind of love, that kind of crazy, crazy love is lived out and as it is practiced. I'm not going to get into that today. Um, we'll probably start diving into the Sermon on the Mount probably the first week of January or so. What I want us to do today, just for the next few minutes, and it's not going to take as long as you, as you probably think it's going to take me. I want us to introduce you guys, and I want us to get another foundational understanding to what love truly is. Not what we think love is, not what our society tells us love is, not what culture tells us love is, not what other people tell us love is, but what the Bible tells us love is. What scripture shows us is the definition of love. We want to define love from a purely Christian point of view based on scripture through the lens of the Bible. Because you're not going to find, I'll go ahead and tell you, you're not going to find what scripture means by love through using an English dictionary for one reason. What English dictionaries do is they define words based on how we view them in the United States. Not even how English words are viewed in England, unless you happen to have an Oxford Dictionary. So you're not going to find an adequate description or definition of Christian love in a dictionary. Most of us, everybody in this room, I know, has been in church for a long time, and I've preached on it myself. Y'all have heard that word, agape. 
agape. That's, that's, that's the kind of love lived through Jesus, lived by Jesus in the New Testament. It's that self-sacrificial type of love, right? But I want to go a little bit deeper, just a little bit deeper than that, and a little bit beyond the idea of what's just self-sacrificial. And let's get a really, really, really good understanding of what that kind of self-sacrificial love looks like. When we go to the Bible to find out what that means, we have to watch how God loves. When we go to the Bible to find out what love means, what it looks like, we have to watch. We have to open our eyes to how God loves. Because God is what, church? Love. The Apostle John writes that in 1 John. Not that God has love, not that God shows love, not that God does love, but God is love. So we look at how God loves through the lens of Holy Scripture. We don't base it on how, we, how humans view it. Five elements. Five elements. And again, this will not take as long as you probably think I'm going to take with it. But as there's five elements that I see anyway. Number one. First and foremost is that, that agape, self-sacrificial love is this. It is a rugged commitment. It is a rugged commitment to each other, to other people. Think of that word covenant from the Old Testament. It's probably but it doesn't mean a whole lot, a whole lot to us, but look at that, look at the way that God loved the nation of Israel. Look at the rugged commitment that God had for the nation of Israel, despite their sin, despite their turning away from Him, despite, despite their blatant worship of other gods, despite their immorality, despite the way that, the way that they treated the, the marginalized and they oppressed people and joined in that type of thing. He kept on with them, kept on pursuing them, kept on pursuing Him. They couldn't stop. They couldn't make God stop loving them. That is a rugged commitment. That's what a rugged commitment looks like. God didn't give up on them. He doesn't give up on us. Rugged commitment to people. Most of us, most of us can have a rugged commitment to some, to most people in our families. Most of us can do that the majority of the time. What about those people who are difficult to love? What about those people who rub us the wrong way? What about those people who maybe we just don't like? Can I have a rugged commitment to those people? Because that's the kind of love that God has. Pursuing and pursuing and pursuing. Number two, other aspect is that, is that God and love are affectionate. And they are emotional. Now, here's the emotion that comes in. This is kind of what we think of generally as Americans when we think of the word love. We think about those love emotions. Well, here it is. God is emotional. And we see that throughout the scriptures. There are certain Hebrew words in the Old Testament that, that verify this. There are certain Hebrew words that point to the fact that God had a very, very deep affection for the nation of Israel. That Jesus has a very, very deep affection for us. You might, you might say that God was head over heels for the nation of Israel. So he is emotional. Love is emotional. And it is affectionate or effective. Third point, presence. And this is a big one. This is a big one. Love is presence. 
with other people. Love is presence with other people because God is present with the ones that he loves. Again, go back to those Old Testament stories that all of us know all so well. Think about how God was constantly, even very often times, physically present with his people. Think of the burning bush. Think of the Ark of the Covenant. Some of those examples where God actually physically manifested himself. Think of Jesus in the New Testament who was physically present with his people, physically present with his disciples, getting involved in their lives. Think of right now. We don't have Jesus, but what do we have? We've got the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is present. He is present in this church this morning. He is present in our homes. Love is presence. And there's something else that you can equate with that. And I've told my wife this on a number of occasions now. But I think that you can spell love, T-I-M-E. Time. Time is presence. Because here's, when we give people our time, that's how we show people our love. When we give people our time, that's how we show people our love. Here it is, folks. We're going to spend our time doing, thinking about, and engaging the things that we love the most. That's what's going to occupy our time. What are we present with the most? Is it the people in our lives? Is it the people that God is pointing us to? Or is it something else? Presence. Presence. Fourthly, advocacy. Advocacy. One of the greatest lines in Scripture that talks about God's covenant with Israel is this. God says, I will be your God and you will be my people. I will be your God and you will be my people. Now you can translate that a whole lot of different ways, but basically what that means is I've got your back. I've got your back. I am in your corner. I am your defender and I am your protector. That's advocacy. Advocacy is all about being for people. I'm going to stand for you. I'm going to speak up for you. I'm going to be in your corner. I've got your back. A lot of us have friends that attend Grace Point Church in Douglas. Grace Point started a, a, a campaign a number of years ago. And if, if you don't have friends over there, you've probably noticed these little stickers on the back of people's cars that say, For Coffee. Have y'all seen those? Y'all seen those signs? Y'all seen those, those stickers on people's cars and other places? That's what that campaign is all about. And I give them credit and I give them praise for whoever came up with that. That is the, what they're doing with that campaign is they are letting our local folks know that their church is for them. That their church is in their corner. Their, th their church wants to see people thrive. Their church wants to see people in love with God. One of the greatest mishaps, one of the biggest mishaps and the biggest mistakes and biggest snafus in the history of the American church over the last four or five decades, at least in my lifetime anyway, is everybody knows what we're against. Everybody knows what we don't like. Everybody knows what we're not in favor of. And frankly, that's primarily what we're known for a lot of times. That's primarily what keeps people from coming in those doors right now. What about what we're for? What about who we're for? What if about we're letting people know that we, are, we got their back? We're in their corner. We are for them because that's what God does for us. That is what advocacy is and what advocacy looks like. I am for you. Lastly, direction. Love is direction. 
God gives us direction. He points us in the right places. And in the same way, we give one another direction. This is how discipleship works. This is how discipleship happens. This is how we grow in those ideas of love and holiness and righteousness and sanctification, all those, all those good things. This is, this is what we do. We give and we receive direction because we love one another. Sometimes that's not so fun, to be honest with you. But we do it because we love one another. So I would give it this, this is the definition that I would give love based on all that. Love is a rugged, emotional commitment of presence, advocacy, and direction. Love is a rugged and emotional commitment of presence, advocacy, and direction. That really makes us step up our game, doesn't it? When we say that we love others, this is the standard that we're setting. This is the standard that God sets for us. This is the standard that Jesus sets for us. This is the standard that we're looking at. So considering all that, I would invite you over the next couple of weeks, and, and over the next few months anyway, to keep your focus on those foundational scriptures that we talked about in the beginning. Keep your focus, keep your mind on those foundational Scriptures that we talked about in the beginning. I would encourage you to start reading these regularly. I would encourage you to start meditating on these regularly. I would encourage you to start praying over and with these scriptures regularly. I would encourage you to memorize these scriptures. I would encourage you to recite these scriptures as part of your spiritual practices. What did I tell you about the Shema a little bit earlier? How did they practice that in the Jewish tradition? They would get up in the morning... First thing that they would say is the Shema. At the end of the day, they would say the Shema. Standard Jewish practice. After reading and going through the, the book that I based that sermon series on, I started doing this. And, and, and the author of the book um, encouraged his readers to do, to do the same thing. And, I've, and, and I did it for a while and I got out of it. And I've been, I've been doing it again for the last couple months or so. First thing I do... First thing I do before my feet hit the floor in the morning is I pray the Jesus Creed. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. I pray that. Last thing that I do before I go to bed at night is I pray that again. Now, here's the kicker. Pray it throughout the day when you think of it. Anytime I think of it, I pray it. I may wind up praying that thing 20 or 30 times a day. Same thing goes for John 13, 34, and 35. There's another, there's another wonderful one that you can use. But let me tell you what happens. If you start doing this, if you start doing this, it's going to mess you up. Because you're going to start thinking differently. It's not magic. <laughs> it just happens. You're going to start thinking differently. You're going to start viewing people differently you're going to start seeing where you fail you're going to start seeing where you struggle you're going to start seeing where you do not love people or love god with all your heart soul mind and strength you're going to start criticizing you're going to start scrutinizing your own thoughts your own words and your own actions but what does it also do for me it makes me want to love these people more 
It doesn't just point out my faults. It, it prompts me, pushes me to want to exercise a little bit more love for whoever. Whoever. Maybe these folks who do rub me the wrong way. I promise you, if you start doing this, it'll change your life. And I don't say that about a whole lot of things. But I assure you, you start reciting this stuff to yourself, start praying it to God, it'll change you. It will, God will use it. I have no doubt in my mind. He will use that to initiate that heart transformation that we talk about so much. So I'm excited. I'm excited about teaching on this subject. I'm talking, excited about preaching on this subject. I'm excited about, you know, our church, you know, learning to love like Jesus. I'm excited and I'm also challenged by it. I love the Sermon on the Mount. It's my, some of my favorite pieces of Scripture uh, that we're going to be getting into. But it's also the most challenging. It's going to challenge you too. Just like I said just then, it's going to point you to places that you may don't, maybe don't want to go. It's going to point out your faults. It's going to point out your shortcomings. But on the other side of that is growth. On the other side of that is transformation. And maybe we do start doing that. Maybe we do start making people think that we're crazy because of the way that our love shows for one another. Wouldn't that be great? Y'all uh, pray with me. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you. For this day, God, we thank you for your church. We thank you so much for our brothers and for our sisters this week. Heavenly Father, we especially thank you so much for the birth of your son, Jesus Christ. God, you manifested your love in physical form in a, in a little child in Bethlehem over 2,000 years ago. May we manifest your love through our words, through our thoughts, and through our actions. May we truly love you with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And may we love our neighbor as ourself. That's our prayer for this upcoming year, dear God. Transform us, work us for your glory, for your kingdom, and for the good of every life that we might touch. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen.